It's another stacked episode of the Broadway show Uncut. I'm Tamsin Fidel. Thanks for being with us. Well, we have two great conversations on this latest episode. The great Annette Benning is here. She is a Tony nominee, an Oscar nominee, a Broadway star, a movie star, an icon. And pretty soon, she's back on the New York City stage for one night only. It's November the 11th. She is starring in a one night only benefit reading of the new play Griswold. It's based on the life of activist Estelle Griswold. So we're going to hear from Annette in just a few. But first, we're talking to Lena Hall. She is awesome, multi-talented. She won a Tony a few years back. She's got a new album that came out this year. And right now, in New York City, she's living and dying as Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. Lena's here now with Charlie Cooper to talk about why she loves being eaten alive. So, Lena, thank you for joining us. Thank you. You're taking on this role of Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors off Broadway. Talk to me a little bit about what drew you into this role. I know it's it's a story that everyone is familiar with, but what was it about Audrey and her role that kind of spoke to you? The show, I've known it since I was a kid. I watched it, I watched the movie, and that was the only version that I actually knew going into this. So when Michael Mayer was like, hey, would you ever want to play Audrey in Little Shop? I was like, uh, yeah. Um, I'm based solely on the movie and the soundtrack that I knew, which was the movie soundtrack. That's what I know of the show. And so when I came into the show, I had Ellen Green's version in my head so very strongly. And, and then um, my first day of rehearsal, I saw the show that night for the first time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then seeing Tammy do it and her version, it was like a whole new kind of world opened up. And I thought, oh, oh okay. So, there's so many different ways to play this character. She's really, really layered. Um, she's not a ditz. She's very much um, vulnerable and uh, she's kind of strong from having, you know, grown up in in Skid Row, which is, yeah. uh, you know, a terrible place to have to grow up. <laughs> and uh, and so. Just from that alone, it was I was really excited. But I had already taken <laughs> the job. I wanted to come back to the New York stage. I've been gone for a while, and it wasn't something that was necessarily a choice. It was because mm -hmm. I was filming Snowpiercer's TV show, and it always overlapped during like the high times of uh, musical theater when the seasons are. But um, but then of course the pandemic and. All of that just kind of disrupted everything. So for me, getting back on stage and then also getting to play this iconic role, knowing the show, um, knowing the music so well, um, it was really, really exciting for me. And uh, yeah, couldn't be happier. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know that you mentioned seeing Tammy and kind of being inspired by the fact that you could take this role in any direction. How are you making it your own um, with it being passed down to you? Um, I'm bringing what I know from Ellen's characterization of it, from what I know from Tammy, and then I also got to watch two understudies go on. And, um, and that's always great because it opens your eyes to kind of like everything that you can do so you don't have to do it one way. And in that, then you get to do your own thing. Essentially, it's like an invitation to do your own thing when you see so many different versions in front of you. And, um, and so for me, it, it was so important to bring her vulnerability, to bring it, uh, to be truthful with it, mm -hmm. um, to make her really real and relatable for the audience um, to watch and heartbreaking because what 
she goes through, who she is, is extremely hopeful for a future that she'll probably never, ever get, yeah. right? Yeah, it's so interesting, because I know that you mentioned prior, um, you were very set on She's Not Ditsy, and I think a lot of people kind of think of her in that way, but um, can you kind of talk about bringing your edginess to that role? Because I think a lot of people think of you and your vocals and they be, it, them being just so strong and fierce and edgy. Yeah, I, uh, so coming in, um, you know, I think somewhere that's green, a lot of people were like, oh, this is such a different role for her. And I was like, I don't know, actually now looking it on the page, knowing the role better, it, uh, it's right in, you know, me as a performer, it's in my wheelhouse, because it's really just a damaged person mm -hmm. who, um, who has hopes and dreams and um, holds on to those even though, even though they're pretty unattainable. And like, uh, for me, the bringing in my edginess to it was um, a lot less important. So even singing the score, like I'll dirty it up a little bit here and there, but, um, but really the songs are so beautifully written by Alan Menken and uh, we have suddenly Seymour back in its original key. It was brought down briefly and so now it's back in its original key and, um, and it is like a moment of high and amazing. But at the same time, you're not gonna hear me riffing and you're not gonna hear me going off because it's not appropriate for the storytelling of the character. What's important are those lyrics, what's important are those notes, are those, what Alan Menken and Howard Ashman wrote are on the page are so important for the show itself that I had to, I have to stop myself from wanting to like, you know, do the Lena Hall thing with it or whatever. <laughs> and like, you know, and make sure that it's a real interpretation. It comes from somewhere. If I am going to do that, it has to be truthful to the storytelling. It can't just, be something that is, you know, like a you know riffing for days. Like, like the three the three girls, the urchins, they can go off more because that's more on brand for them. Mm -hmm. But for this character, it's a little, it's much more restrained, yeah. which is very interesting. You get the moment to shine, but it's not quite. I think what people might be thinking of, like the end of Hedwig, where I was allowed carte blanche to do whatever I wanted, and it became insane at the end like it was just, I was holding notes forever and I was doing these crazy riffs and crazy high notes and whatever but that was appropriate for that character at that moment to mm -hmm. for the show it worked this is so much different you know and so the restraint is really very interesting to me yeah, yeah. how did you prepare to um, get back on stage because I know that you mentioned the time in between of course you were doing Snowpiercer, but um, was there anything that you did to prepare to kind of get back into the groove of um, being on stage? Uh, <laughs> nothing prepares you to get back into the groove of an eight show week. Um, my body hurts a lot. Uh, and when I sleep, I have nightmares. Um, uh, so yeah, I think um, my body basically was forcing me just to like, you know, don't forget your entrance because we're gonna have bad dreams about that. Um, <laughs> exciting. I, you know, the prep is all in the is in the character work, and things like that. I mean, there's no, there's quite literally nothing you can do to prepare you for eight shows a week. That's not doing eight shows a week. 
<laughs> so when you start doing each as a week, then you get that stamina back. Yeah. I was kind of nervous at the end there, like on Saturday, Sunday, when I was hitting my sixth, seventh, and eighth show, I was like, oh, is this gonna be here? Am I gonna be able to do this? Like, I don't even know, am I losing my voice? I scream a lot in the show. There's like, like I have, I can do this blood curdling scream, you know, like, cause for, for a moment that is important. And, um, and I'm like, oh, am I doing that right? Am I, you know, am I mm-hmm. hurting myself? Am I screwing up my voice? Like, I don't know, cause I'm doing it just a week and it's been so long. And then by Sunday, I was like, when we got to suddenly see more, it, I was like, oh, I have stuff left over to give. Mm-hmm. I can give more. So it's um, interesting because I'm coming back into having that learning curve again of the eight show week. How much can you give? Can you give it all every night? Or do you have to hold back? Are you going to hurt yourself? Like things, these questions, this kind of like my my self-esteem is a little low when it comes to like doing eight shows a week again. But as it's progressing now, I'm becoming like, oh, yeah, I got this. Mm-hmm. I've done it before. Yeah. What says I can't do it again? Yeah. You know, um, it's like a it's like a, a weird confidence, like an overconfidence thing. Like, oh, I've got this, mm-hmm. you know. Um, oh, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to like really go for it and I got this and I know I'm going to be fine. I I don't know. It's hard to explain. A lot of people ask me about this, but um, (laughs) it's like if I'm feeling self-conscious, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the 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 idea there is to just lose yourself in the character because the character doesn't know that they're singing. Mm -hmm. The character doesn't worry about being perfect when they sing or notes being good or belting or singing it out or whatever. The character is just going through telling their own story. That's Mm -hmm. what they're doing. It's like they're telling their story. They just happen to be singing and um, so they're not aware that they're singing. And so that I think think, um, really focusing on story, focusing on your character, really, really focusing on it to a point where you're not really aware that you're singing is really the way to do it. And um, I always say, and don't be afraid to sound like shit. (laughs) Don't be afraid to sound like shit. Because you can get over that. If you're not afraid, then it's not going to ruin the rest of the song in your head. You're not going to go, oh, I cracked. Oh, my God. And then you get tight. If you just, you're like, oh, I cracked, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just gonna keep singing, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, that's what makes something so exciting is to hear, you know, when a, when a singer is like, not perfect. Mm-hmm. But then it's so human. Right. And it makes it so good, right? right? There's that relatability aspect for Ex- sure. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and I love that. And so when I'm able to kind of do that for myself and I'm like, I'm not afraid to crack, mm-hmm. like it's fine. Um, that's when it's like, that's when that power comes in. Mm-hmm. You have the power to like really just give it all. I know you recently dropped an album. I Can did. you tell us a little bit about that? Um, it's called 1001 mm-hmm. and it has to do with Snowpiercer, 1001 Cars Long. And uh, it's basically all the songs I sang on the show, mm-hmm. plus a couple that I wish I had sung, <laughs> wanted to do covers of, cause I was like, oh, that song is so cool. And they're very like, elevated moments for my character on the TV show. Yeah. Um, uh, so I went in the recording studio with my producer, Justin Craig, who was also the music director for Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and I've done a lot with him. I did the whole Obsessed series that I did with him, and he's just my go-to. He's so brilliant. Um, and so we did this. It was just, I was just like, Justin, 
you know, they're, they're not going to release these songs and people are asking me to release these songs that I've done on the, on the TV show. And mm -hmm. so I was like, well, let's just do our own versions and, we'll, and I'll just release an album and, and then everyone can have it yeah. <laughs> of what they want. And so I, yeah, it, it was fun because the songs were picked for me essentially. Um, I didn't have a say much in the songs that were chosen for me to perform on the show. Gotcha. Um, and, and I liked that because it forced me out of my little box of what I listened to. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, it introduced some incredible artists to me like um, Errol Benjamin. He did a song called Love and Hate. And not a lot of people know that song. The original song is so very good. And then he also did an acoustic version that's on YouTube that is just gorgeous. Yeah. And, uh, and people loved that song when I did it on season, what was that, season three? Um, and so, yeah, recording that version of that song, I loved that I was introduced to that artist. Um, also introduced to uh, uh, other artists like, um, like, Oh my God, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, Tammy, I'm blanking on her name because it's Tammy Blanchard uh, and it's not Tammy <laughs> Blanchard. Tammy. It's another Tammy. It's another Tammy. <laughs> She's fierce. Um, yeah, it, it introduced me to all these cool artists that I wouldn't have otherwise listened to. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that. And I love it when someone expands my music taste. For sure. Yeah. Like when I get in an Uber and they're like, do you yes. want to listen to music? And I go, why don't you put on your favorite music? Because mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I've never heard it and I'd love to listen to it. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, it'll be something completely out of what I listen to and I'll, I'll love it. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, when I think of Little Shop of Horrors, I think of almost like an emotional roller coaster. There are laughs, <laughs> there's horror, there's so many different elements. Um, and I know that you spoke highly about the music kind of drawing you in. Um, can you kind of talk to me about, was there a specific song? Was there a specific moment? Is there a specific moment um, in the show that just is the thing for you? Uh, is it a spoiler alert? Um, <laughs> well, I hope it's not, because when I get eaten by the plant, <laughs> Yeah. It is literally, yep. they should sell tickets to be eaten by the plant because it is so much fun. It's like a little ride that you go on when you get eaten by the plant. <laughs> 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 that was the first time I did it for my, for my uh, put in, for my put in. I'm dead, spoiler alert, I'm dead. <laughs> Not, I mean, I get to die. I mean, this is the first time I've gotten to do a death scene, which is just so much fun. Honestly, it is so much fun to die on stage every night. I asked to have a crazy death for Snowpiercer, but spoiler alert. <laughs> they said, no, you're a fan favorite. We can't kill you off. And so <laughs> I get to die. And you know, Rob, he puts me in the plant, I'm dead and looking fabulous. I think, I don't know, I can't see, but Tammy looked fabulous when she died, so I, I only hope that I look fabulous when I die. And then someone grabs your ankles and like pulls you through the plant and it's like, it's like a ride. You're like, ah! <laughs> the thing comes down on you. Honestly, gotta sell tickets. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a spoiler, so I don't know if you wanna put that in. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lena. This was fun. <laughs> Good stuff from Lena and Charlie. 
Okay, now to Annette Benning. She is on a mission to tell a great story for a great cause. Have a listen. So, well, let's just jump right in. First, I want to talk about uh, Griswold because I, it's so exciting to see you come back to the stage. And I feel like anybody who has been on Broadway, uh, you know, always has that urge to come back. And I think this is right around your debut of 35 years ago, right? Wow. Um, let's see. Yes, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that's right. 35 years ago. That's when I first was in a show in New York. Yeah. So what brought you back this time? What what made you come back? Well, what's happening is um, there's an uh, abortion advocacy group that was created in New York City by a group of theater artists called A is Four. And they're basically an advocacy group to take away the stigma surrounding abortion. And of course, right now that issue is, is more important than ever. They have a playwriting contest every year. And last year, this play, Griswold, won the award for the best play. And so together with the Playhouse Creatures Theater Company, they are producing this reading that we're doing of this play called Griswold. And it's a name we all sort of know because we've heard it a lot uh, in the last few years surrounding many, many important cases. But this play dramatizes the life and the work of this woman, Estelle Griswold, who I have the honor of playing. And I've really learned a lot even just working on the play so far. So she engineered her own criminal arrest, which then resulted in the landmark Supreme Court case, which establishes, which established the right for sexual privacy and directly paves the way for all the other guarantees of liberty, including the right of, of same-sex couples to marry. So it's this amazing woman, incredibly important case. And um, it's the coming together of these, of these two organizations, AS4 and the Playhouse Creatures Theater Company, who are dedicated to activism and art activism. So that's why I'm here and that's why I'm coming. And, and I'm ex very, very excited to be a part of this really important play. Oh, well, I, I love hearing about these kind of plays that come to Broadway because I feel like that message and being able to 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 bring it to people live and to to be able to tell a story like that in person it makes it it makes a big difference. It's very different than maybe just reading it. It's maybe it's very different than seeing it on a screen when you're hearing it and feeling it live. There's something more to that, especially with a message like this. Yeah, I. I think it was what just made me fall in love with the theater to begin with. I remember that from the very first play that I saw, that there was this incredible intellectual ferocity and uh, a kind of level of, of thinking and level of content that was so intellectually challenging, coupled with great feeling. And that's what drama has. It has the ability to really create empathy. And that's how we change people's minds. And that's how we open people's minds. So I, I've always loved that about the theater. It's not only in the theater, it's also in, in all kinds of different performing arts and certainly theater and film and television, but many other forms as well. But in the theater, we do have that ability to use language to really wake ourselves up. And um, I love it for that reason. And this play is very much about that uh, because, you know, Without Griswold, there, there wouldn't be any LGBTQ rights. There would be no marriage equality rights, no transgender rights. I mean, it really paved the way. And it was initially about contraception and making sure that there was a 
federal right to contraception, which interesting to remind people that that didn't exist until this uh, case was won by this incredible woman and her and her partners. I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, you said you were so incredible her story is so incredible because she orchestrated her own arrest. Do you ever want, I mean, I always wonder like, how did somebody come up with like, that was going to be the way to make change? You know, I don't, I don't know that anybody, you know, a lot of people don't think like that. And so I always find that backstory of the story so fascinating. Exactly. Yes. And that's really what the play uh, dramatizes in the most kind of vivid way is that she was an advocate for contraception and, and reproductive rights for women and uh, so she knew that she had to get it into the courts. And, and she figured out that the only way to do that was basically to get herself arrested. <laughs> but and, to take and, such a chance uh, like that is, you know, know. It, such a chance. And, you know, she was a real badass and uh, believed in all of this and, and, and was in her 60s when she did this. So she is a hero. And, um, you know, we, we need to remind ourselves of those stories right now, because with uh, Roe having been overturned, all the uh, attendant rights are under direct assault right now. And I know you know that we all know that. So this is a way to get the conversation going and to uh, get ourselves reminded and hopefully open a few other minds and to remind people that these are just basic basic human rights that need to be protected. And now that Roe has been overturned, we have a lot of work ahead of us. Well, this is certainly on, on the path to uh, to putting that message out there and making sure that people hear a story, especially with a story like this. I think it's also fascinating her age when she did it, because I feel like oftentimes, you know, women hit 50 years old and, you know, they're like, am I invisible? Am I not seen? Am I, you know, I'm in, I'm in my, my midlife right now. And those were a lot of the fears I went through, but to hear somebody doing that, you know, when she could have just said, well, somebody else can, can handle this and do this, but she was out there and put herself up front. I think that was a really special part of it for me too, upon hearing her story. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Um, there's so much stigma around uh, women and aging, and all of it is really created by a culture. And we, um, as women who uh, have our voices and have our experience and have our professional experience and our personal experience, need to remember that that isn't necessarily true for us, that we can feel this great sense of empowerment. And really, in a way, one becomes more free as one gets older yes. because um, you're not kind of saddled with a lot of the same concerns that you had when you were younger, maybe. Uh, it, you know, I guess I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but I know no, a lot I of my friends feel the same feel way. Like, yeah, yeah, they I feel, feel the a same sense way. of liberation. Yeah, and, and that it's so important that we not take on that message of feeling somehow ashamed for uh, for our age, it's really uh, it's a myth. There's there's no reason to feel that way. Of course, we have to wrestle with ourselves and how we sure. feel about ourselves. That that's that's just the nature of being a human being. But to take on this idea that there's something wrong with us, or that there's something to be embarrassed about or ashamed about, it's just such nonsense. And and now we have that opportunity more than ever, as women, to to just dump that garbage and yeah. and live our lives in the way that we feel is authentic and give voice to things that matter to us so being able to be a part of this is an example of that for me it just it's such a um, it means so much to me I mean I was trained in a theater where sort of how you presented yourself as a person 
as an actor, as a performer mattered. And, and that sort of by the way in which you're able to communicate your feelings and the feelings of the play that you're in or the movie that you're in, or the television show or whatever you're doing, that somehow just being a presence out there that, that, you've, that you have a sense of your own integrity and that you have your sen a sense that what you do can matter and what you can, what you can advocate for can make change. And I know that that's what Playhouse Creatures Theater Company is all about. They, they just feel such an incredible sense of responsibility uh, about what they do on the stage and how it has to connect to matters that are near and dear to our civil liberties and um, just our sense, of, our sense of ourselves in the world. I love that. And thank you. Thank you for saying that. Cause I, I've been a huge advocate of, uh, of midlife and of activism in this space of, of menopause right now, because there's so much change that needs to be done in terms of women's health and women not being part of medical studies. And so uh, I was excited to hear you doing this and uh, I was excited to read her story as well. So thank you. I do want to say one thing, um, you know, no matter what you do, you do it with grace, but I, I was flipping through and I did see Jerry and Marge go large and being a news person, I was familiar with the story of the real, of the real couple. And I was just curious about that. I mean, that looked like just like a really great role to play. And Brian Cranston is, you know, he's just a, a favorite of mine um, through the years and also, a, you know, obviously a fellow broad, Broadway actor as well. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. And he was definitely doing it when they came to me with this story. It's a true story about this couple from Michigan. And Jerry is a numbers whiz. And he's just brilliant with numbers, was gifted with this talent from when he was a little kid. And as a retired man, he was looking at uh, the lottery and the rules for the lottery. And he noticed that there was a, a flaw in the way that it was constructed. And that turned into a 10-year project where he and his wife, I play Marge, his wife, and they brought in their family, they brought in their community, and they would go and buy huge amounts of lottery tickets. They didn't cheat. That's what's so right. important. And it's important right. for them. <laughs> they always wanted to, right. us to emphasize that. They didn't cheat. They found a flaw. Jerry found a flaw. And the, the lottery people basically benefited from it because they ended up putting in hundreds of thousands of dollars into buying lottery tickets. And over about a 10 year period, they, they and their friends and this whole group that they were a part of made millions and millions and millions of dollars. So they used it for the town. For good. They used it for their, you know, the education of their kids. Yeah, it's just a great story. I I loved it. What was the, what was a real couple like to meet? I was curious because I, you know, I saw the picture yeah. at the end and I, I just, I, I like fell in love with them when I originally heard this story. So there, we, we went and met them before we made the movie and they're just down to earth Midwesterners from a small town in Michigan that right. they, and by the way, they never moved. They didn't buy a new house. I think he bought a new truck. I think that was like the extent. Oh, wow. of so and they are very much a part of their community. Um, and their, um, their personalities are kind of a little bit reverse that what we did in the film. Um, okay. And Marge is, the, Marge, is, Marge is so incredible. I, I came from the Midwest and I, my parents are from the Midwest. And um, she reminds me of so many of my relatives. 
she was completely unimpressed with being uh, the focus of attention. You know, she didn't care. And even back when it was the story first came out and they were in the New Yorker and 60 Minutes came, she didn't want to do any of that. She had no interest in it. Jerry's a little bit more kind of, he, he enjoys it a little bit more talking about it. And, and he's, um, and he's just this brilliant guy. She's, um, she doesn't need that. And in a and in a way that I completely respected, and I I, yeah. I like that. But she was tough, and she was a she was a really tough mom. I met her daughter, and she told me all about how they in the movie we only have a couple of kids. In real life, they had six children, oh, and I she would, she, yeah, and she <laughs> ran a tight ship. Her daughter told me all about it. We laughed. We you laughed. have to. <laughs> oh my god, we sat on the we sat on the back porch and just talked and laughed. And, you know, she made their clothes. She sewed their coats. I mean, she's, she, and, and she, her house was immaculate. In I fact, love that. I love her that. daughter told me, and she said, yeah, it's a, it's immaculate right now. And of course they're retired. There's nobody around, but she said, you know what? It was like this when we were kids. <laughs> so I thought, wow, <laughs> that that's its own story. That's its own story. Oh, that's wonderful. I really, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Thanks. it, but I enjoy, I enjoy things that are out real people, you know, because that's, that's, yeah. that's, that storytelling is what it's all about. So one last thing before I let you go, um, I know Ella was tapped for a big role for FX. So I just wanted to say congrats to you as a mom. And, uh, that has to be exciting to, to see and hear. Yeah. My my youngest daughter, Ella, Ella Beatty, who is 22 years old, just graduated from Juilliard and she just got her first role. So we're all super excited for her. She great. works really hard. She's very disciplined. So I'm really proud of her. Oh, well, I'm so, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you all. So, well, it's so good to be able to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know this was last minute, but um, I thank you for it. But we want to just make sure that um, Griswold is a part of the, the Broadway show and you're a part of the Broadway show. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all giving right. us the time. That is all for now. Another episode of the Broadway show Uncut. It's coming next week. Until then, you can check out your local listings for the TV broadcast of the Broadway show. We are airing each and every weekend all across the country. Hope you can tune in. I'm Tamsin Fidel, and this is the Broadway show Uncut. Uncut.